Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Joanna Fortune joins us once again. Good afternoon. Joanna. Good afternoon. Uh, first question is this. We're the parents of a very happy six-year-old, but we are concerned about the fact that he still puts non-food items in his mouth, at home in particular. And especially when playing or watching TV, he's very bright and finds learning easy. He's a very healthy attitude to all foods and loves most textures, tastes and eats very well. We're just concerned he will choke on something. And he's also prone to cold sores. We've given him an ice cube to suck on when watching TV and currently a fidget popper, uh, which does help. Until that goes in his mouth too. What should we do? Giving out to him isn't working. I mean, you're absolutely right. Giving out does not work mm. because you're. it would call on me to know consciously what am I doing? Why am I doing it? I shouldn't be doing it. And all of that kind of, if I was that aware of it, I wouldn't be doing it. Yeah. Let's be honest, you know. So the giving out doesn't make sense, especially if he's, and it sounds like he is, he's mindlessly doing it. You know, when he's engaged in something else, it's just more of an instinct. Um, and actually they're doing lots of the right things and keep doing those. You know, the fidget toys, the distractions. You know, this is a kid who seems to eat really well, like mm. all tastes and textures. He's open to trying things. And maybe he's so open to trying things that there isn't a limit on what he's prepared to try and yeah. you know we often you know when you think of this it, it, it's hard for your mind well or your fingers not to go to Google but your mind not to go to something like Pika and that is you know when children will yeah. eat indiscriminately um, objects that are not intended to be mm. eaten but it doesn't mean popping something into your mouth is necessarily Pika okay because it sounds very much like a sensory seeking stimulation behaviour which the function of which can be like very calming it can reduce Reduce stress by attempting self-regulation. You know, chewing is a very good way to release tension and stress, partly because it forces that release of the tension held in the jaw. You've got that movement in the mouth. And so I would be saying explore this with curiosity regarding his stimulation levels. Might this be happening when he is over or under stimulated? Mm. And that's going to look very differently for different children. Like some children can, you know, do... Oh, my gosh, some of the busiest kids out there, you know, do endless activities and they manage it. Others, you know, really school is all they can manage and they need a lot of downtime to process that and free time to process that. And many more kids fall somewhere in the middle. One or two activities is fine, but also free time during the week. Watch the waves of stimulation in his day. Does he tend to kind of run at a pace? that can cause overstimulation. I'm just wondering about that with a kid who's this open, this go, go, go. Um, So again, that's about, you know, asking you a question in response Mm. to your question. (laughs) But also I'm thinking that an OT assessment could be helpful here, an occupational therapy assessment, because it could be a way of just exploring some of that sensory seeking stimulation stuff. It could look at, is there other things that could he could be doing that would alleviate the need or offset the need to then be putting things in his mouth? And don't forget, like with young, young children, if we were talking about a much younger child, I'd be saying it's what they do, you know, in toddlerhood. It's because they're curious about their world and they discover things in an oral way and all of that. But at six years old, that's when we go, Okay, it's a lingering. And the question here is about he's still doing it, which I infer he's been doing it and it hasn't stopped. Yeah. Rather than this is a recent behaviour, because if he hadn't been doing it and it was recent, then we'd be looking at what are the life events that might have triggered this. So look at are there key points of the day or patterns to when he does it, times when he's more likely or less likely 
and keep up what you're doing. But I think I talked to your GP about a referral into um, OT services or if you have the means or opportunity if there's and by opportunity I mean if there's somebody available in the area you're from to do it privately an OT assessment Mm. could be very helpful here just in terms of providing you with insight and further very specific tools as to how you can support him yeah but it could be just a habit. It could be a habit that he yeah. never broke. But again, the distraction would be what we would do with that rather than the giving out. It would be to encourage a new alternative behaviour. So if you think that he's, it's when he's watching TV, it's when he's reading a book, it's when his mind is kind of wandering or in that wandering space, then the fidget toy, uh, the popper, you know, those things, they mm. would be very effective. It's the fact that he's, it is effective until he then puts that in his mouth as well. That would lead me to think the curiosity piece is there isn't it? I wonder, mm, it's nice, it's fun to pop, but I wonder what it tastes like. Yeah, those popper things are mad, aren't they? I mean, I'm not mad, but I mean, but it's odd that such a kind of a, such a simple thing is so popular. But with you kids. know, like, it's kind of like, you know, the wrapping that things yes, come in, the yeah. plastic pop. People get very excited about that mm. and are like, oh, don't leave me that, I'll do that, mm. you know, mm. to pop it and that sensation. So it's really just kind of, you know, marketing that, that, that that's instinct that's always been there. Quite extraordinary. <laughs> My daughter is four and diagnosed with autism in March and is currently in an early intervention class in mainstream school. She isn't potty trained and this isn't an issue right now, but I need to get it done before she goes mm. into junior infants. I have tried visual aids and bring her into the bathroom to change her. She hasn't made any moves to want to be potty trained. Have you any tips or could I do anything to make this process easier? Uh, I mean, look, it's it's a fairly recent diagnosis and you are in an early intervention class, which is great. And I'm delighted that you have that um, that resource available to you. Talk to the tutors and teachers in that class because they will know how to facilitate this and support Mm. this. So don't feel like you're alone and you've got to work this out on your own. When it comes to potty training a child with ASD or a child who doesn't have ASD, the steps are pretty much the same. But with ASD, we tend to think think in terms of extra support, extra time and extra strategies. So typically, I would say, as you know, like, I'm not a big fan of reward charts or incentivizing mm. behaviour with rewards. It can be very effective for children who have ASD. And if you do go down the road of um, a reward chart, I think what can be very helpful around the toilet is to have specific rewards around if you do a wee, then you get a rainbow sticker. If you do a poop, you get something else. You know, two different yeah. so, th- so that the child is beginning to associate there are two functions here and actually both go into the toilet and both are rewarded and reinforced really. Um, I also think using descriptive praise in general by the way I think it's important kids get you know very specific praise but with children with ASD descriptive praise can be very useful and that's very much saying well done for sitting on the toilet and remembering to pull down your pants. So you're right, very yeah. specific. You're not saying well done mm. and you know in I'm delighted you did that. You're being actually very specific and using descriptive language about what is it you're praising because you want to always reinforce the the steps that I need to take. Um, I also think, you know, look, some some children with ASD and I, I'm saying some children because ASD is, is a spectrum. So where how you experience autism is very different between different people. Mm. But some children with ASD might struggle with change and transitions. So consider skipping the potty and going straight to the toilet so there's one change. Yeah. yeah. As opposed to, right, we've nailed that, but now we've got to start again Mm. to get it from here to here. Um, You could also choose one word that indicates toilet time. 
I mean, it could be toilet, but you could also have a different word mm. that you simply use that cues your child. Oh, we're going to the bathroom and when we're in there, we'll be using the toilet. And again, being playful, you could have a song that you sing. And when you start singing it, your child knows to get up and follow you to go to the bathroom, making it a little fun, playful and interactive, but creating positive associations with what's expected of me when I hear these cues. And the visual aids are a very good idea. The un- other thing I would just add in is that social stories can be such a great help when parenting with ASD. Okay, because it's a way of really refining your visual aids and being very specific about what is it I what behavior is expected of you and what can you anticipate? And Carol Gray would tend to be the most known person. I mean, there are others, but Carol Gray um, in terms of the social stories for children who are living with autism. Mm people who are living with autism, not just children. And she has a, a, look, a range of books. So if I was you, I would look up Carol Gray. She has her own website and, you know, look at down the resources for social stories to support potty training. I think any of that could be really helpful here. Right. Okay. What is a social story? So it's literally taking the the message you want to convey, Mm. but it's putting it into a story. Right. Okay. Like, but it's very much, you know, Uh, clear beginning, middle, end. You tell the same story in the same way. You can use the visuals as well. You're drawing it out while Mm. telling it. And then you enact it by walking through the story as well. But I'm actually able to bring the story to mind around different things that are expected of me. Can you please advise me on how best to cope with my eight-year-old daughter's behaviour? She's like a hormonal teenager lately, swinging from being a great kid one minute to a screaming lunatic the next. Last week, for instance, she defied me in everything I asked. Wouldn't change out of her uniform, wouldn't eat her dinner. Kept annoying and fighting with her younger sister. Eventually, I, I totally lost the plot, ended up shouting at her and slapping her and sending her to her room. She sat on her bed and smiled at me and just told me she wasn't going to do what I asked. This is a daily issue with her. There are constant rows and disagreements and both my husband and I are at a loss as to how best to manage manage her behaviour. Nothing works. I've tried taking her TV privileges from her. The bold step, losing my temper, trying to reason with her. Nothing gets through to her and I've literally no patience with her anymore. Any advice would be greatly appreciated. The frustration is just palpable, palpable, isn't it? And I think the key here is you have no patience with her Um, because I think and I've said this before, but by the time we react or moreover, we overreact to our children's behaviour when we end up snapping, shouting, lashing out, saying and doing things that we promised ourselves before being parents, we would never do Mm. those moments. It's not about what your child is doing in those moments. It's about what got activated and triggered within you by them doing it. So what are your expectations here? I mean, I know you're using the word hormonal and I'm not going to say your eight-year-old could not be hormonal because, you know, puberty can absolutely begin to kick in for children from eight years old. And that's worth bearing in mind. But again, if you're seeking to understand why is she behaving the way she is, you know, you're asking yourself what might be underpinning this overt behaviour, the thing she's doing and saying, that allows you to stay in a position of curiosity rather than certainty. It's not that she's being a brat. She's being this. It's something is going on and she's using this behaviour 
to convey that to us. Mm. If you can hold a position of curiosity, you are less likely to flip your lid. And flipping lids is what's happened here. Um, you know, it's all the way through this letter. You know, I'm losing it. I'm not coping. I've no patience. She won't do as she's told. What are your expectations? Don't forget eight to 12 years old. It's not unusual for children to begin to engage in some defiance. OK, mm. I'm not saying it's OK, by the way. I'm not saying let them away with it. I'm just saying don't pathologize it because it can be developmentally quite normal because I'm seeking more independence and autonomy. I'm looking at, you know, who are seeking the outside world and my peer group as a source of validation and information over you. And I'm, I may even begin to kind of, what do you know about anything? That kind of an attitude creeping mm. in. So you are seeing some of that. I suppose more than that, though, I'm looking at how long has this been going on would be a question I'd ask. And what is the story of the feeling? Like, are you saying this is going on for months or is this since returning to school? Might there mm. be more she to this? She says lately. Yeah. So, yeah. I inferred a few weeks. Mm. Um, now, we could be wrong. It could be months. But I, I inferred a few weeks, in which case, how are things going in school? How are things going yeah. in extracurricular activities? How are things going with a peer group? Any friendship changes? What else might be going on for your daughter that she is bringing this level of frustration and anger at and distress and dysregulation home. And, you know, one of the most effective ways of coping with icky, uncomfortable feelings that we're not able to contain and make sense of ourselves is to evacuate them out of ourselves, project them into somebody else, a trusted, yeah. safe adult in a bid to have you contain it, make sense of it and give it back to me in manageable bite sized pieces. Hey, I can see you're really upset. I'm wondering what that's about. I, I noticed you and your friend weren't talking today. I'm I'm wondering, did something happen here? You're really upset. It isn't. It is OK to be upset. It is not OK to shout and roar. But let's find something else that we can do. And you stay in that curious, empathic zone. Now, you're not a saint. You're not a robot. You're not going to stay completely down at baseline yourself when mm -hmm. somebody is shouting and roaring at you and defying you over and over and over. You will snap and lose it. But then take responsibility for those ruptures and go back with a relational repair. Hey, both of our feelings got really loud there and I yelled at you or I, I lashed out at you and I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do it. I wish I hadn't done it. Here's what I wish I had done instead. Let's try it again because the repair is the responsibility of the parent no matter who did what, no matter who said what because we have to show our kids that the relationship matters more than being right and yeah. the relationship is stronger than the row. So there's quite a few bits here that I, I think in terms of ex it, rather than expecting her to calm down and stop the behaviour, you have to be the calm that she can co-regulate with. So it starts with checking in with yourself. Why is this behaviour so activating and triggering for you? What might be going on for your daughter behind this behaviour and finding a way to stay connected? Because you can only correct a behaviour within a secure emotional connection. Yeah. So this is why these things like, you know, bull steps, losing your temper, taking away privileges, they don't work because it's actually you're, you're going prematurely to correct behaviour without securing that connection. Yeah. yeah. Even though she says in the first paragraph, uh, she's a great kid to a screaming lunatic the next, the rest of the email, it strikes me, doesn't have the child screaming and shouting. Uh, it has the parent. It has the parent. Mm. And that line, she sat in the bed, smiled at me and just told me she wasn't going to do what I asked. Almost like she's deliberately trying to 
provoked that reaction from her mother. And she's winning. And she's winning. And I don't think that's giving her pleasure. That smile, Mm. don't confuse that smile with, God, I'm really delighted with this and I'm enjoying this. Nobody enjoys this. Also, nobody swings from being great to being one minute to a lunatic the next. That's a massive swing. Like we often hear that phrase, somebody goes naught to 90. Like that's not true because if you hit 90, you weren't at naught to begin with. You were simmering around 65 and that can become an elevated baseline but it's not a comfortable place to be because it's in a dysregulated state all of the time. So when you lose it and you have the temper tantrum or the meltdown and you're the one shouting and roaring, I get to go, yeah, that's what it feels like. Now you understand. Mm -hmm. And that is what I meant by that bid to have you make sense of it and contain it in a way that I can't because I'm eight. I would get curious about what's underlying this and tag each other in. You know, you're talking about um, yourself and and your husband here as well, that, you know, if you feel like I'm going to lose it, like I'm I'm really going to let fly here. Walk away. The one who needs the time out is you, not her. So walk away, get yourself closer to baseline and let the other parents step in and go, okay, let's short circuit what's going on here. And then when things are calmer, we'll talk about it. But you've got to work as a team collaboratively with this. But she is managing to activate and trigger you. Yeah. Right. We do have to take a break. You are listening to The Moncrief Show on News Talk. After that break, our two-year-old is trying to throw herself out of the cot. 53106 is our text number that will cost you uh, 30 cent. Uh, Joanna Fortune and I uh, take a welcome break in our gossiping uh, to go back to some of your parenting questions. Uh, Next one is this. Our uh, three-week-old baby in the house has thrown our two-year-old into a tizzy and she's refusing to go down for naps or bedtime without screaming blue murder and trying to throw herself out of the cot. Oh, the poor little oh, thing. Though. And poor, uh, poor everybody here yeah. because they're so... Oh, look, you're in the throes of active change. And two-year-olds, you know, they don't have anything like the emotional fluency to go, hey, that this has been a lot for me. Let me show you, though, because this is sounding like a two-year-old in distress, not a, you know, yeah. it might look overtly like angry, defiant behaviour, but this is about distress. Like there's been a monumental change and I don't know how to find my feet in it. And I'm wondering when, you know, this little one is trying to throw herself out of the cot, is it an attempt to get back to you? You know, so I'm not like trying to hurt myself Mm. or it's not about the cot, if you know what I mean. It's about no, 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 no. Don't push. Don't pull me away from you. And that's how I'm experiencing it. And again, bear in mind that the three week old baby means very recently mum disappeared and was gone for even a brief period of time, even if it was a day Mm, or an overnight or two days. And I didn't really understand the abstract concept that she would do this and come back with a baby. And then she did. And I'm like, but if I go to bed when I... And, it, it, you know, especially we see this when children, you know, maybe labour kicked in while the little one was asleep. And when I woke up, you were gone. Anything like that. But I'm still in the throes of that people permanence piece. So when you've disappeared, that was scary for me. And if I go to bed, I need to know that you're going to be there and you're going to wake up. And when you pull me in the cot, that baby gets to stay with you. And I don't feel that's fair, actually. So I'm protesting and no better than a two year old to protest out loud, actively, and they can go much louder and longer than we can. (laughs) These are battles (laughs) we won't win. But I I wonder, you know, because she's still only two. 
is there opportunity, you know, extra hands on deck, you know, bring in and, you know, when people say to you when you've had a baby, is there anything I can do? Yes. Give mm. them a specific thing. Come in and hold the baby for an hour so I can just hold the two year old and play with her, or lie down with her, or put her to see, stay with her. Let me give this extra time to the two year old. That would be really helpful. And I think that's what's going to be needed here mm. is. And I hate saying that to uh, someone who's just had a newborn. Oh, by the way, could you also give extra time here? Because time is such a privileged resource and so limited when you've just had a newborn who demands all of you all the time. So pull in extra resources um, and just try to do a lot of empathy and extra playtime. This will pass. Mm. It's easy for me to say, isn't it, sitting here when I'm not the one, you know, <laughs> catching the two year old th- throwing herself out of the cot. But it will pass. It's only been three weeks. So I would also give this some time. Yeah. Um, like she will adjust, but adjusting is a process and it is hard for a two year old. Yeah. And dad won't do. Dad is oh, the consolation no, prize Because again, this. all I'm hearing is I can't have mom. Yeah. No matter who yeah. you're putting in front of me. Yeah. What you're telling me is I can't have the very thing I want. Yeah. So it's it's about trying to make free up mum to be available. My 11 year old daughter and her best friend have drifted apart. The two of them had been inseparable for years and I'm devastated to see this happen. I think it stemmed from my daughter's friend interacting with boys more and leaving my child out. My daughter is still quite immature in that sense and quite hurt and confused by her friend's actions. I'd like to encourage them to stay friends, but I can't force them. So what should I do? And how do I comfort my daughter and explain how to cope with the situation in a way she can deal with it better? I mean, you are not going to get involved in the friendship. That's what you're not going to do, first of all. So there's no encouraging or forcing or and I'm noticing as a parent, you're saying you're devastated this has happened. (laughs) So, you know, what you are going to do is this last bit. How do I comfort my daughter? How do I support her? And this explain how to cope. And I suppose it, it brings up for me and how easy it is to say it and hard it is to do it. But we have to avoid this fix or change agenda with our kids and we have to to avoid jumping in to rescue them from the difficult feelings mm. because what's really important is that they understand that difficult feelings can be mastered, the tension in there can be mastered and that we will stay with them and support them in finding their way through this and out the other side of it. But we can't rescue it because if we jump in with the solution and say, here's what you do, here's how to handle it, this is what's happening, and we give the explanation, the plan, the and we do everything, then she hasn't learned how to manage these situations herself. And yeah. this is going to happen again. Um, 11 years old, you know, that that tween it's often called, but coming, you know, to the end of middle childhood and preparing to move into adolescence, we do see these these differentials yeah, with yeah. friendships. Like this is an age that is classic for friendships to move in opposite directions. And it's not like there was no row, that nothing happened. There wasn't a thing. It's just these girls are maturing at different levels, different paces and having developing different interests. And children will find friends that complement them and where they're at and what they're interested in. And if we are no longer in sync and no longer aligned in our development, I'm probably going to move away from you towards other friends. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. And that doesn't mean 
it's not incredibly difficult and that the end of a friendship isn't incredibly painful and girls in particular I mean there'll always be an exception to the rule but girls tend to be very intense about their friendships at this age and it can really be experienced as a raw betrayal you know that but why are you leaving me and I didn't do anything and why are you Mm. choosing other than me what's wrong with me and it can be really really like akin to a heartbreak it can be very very sad and what's important is that we're there to accept and empathise with that this is really hard and what can I do to help you and support you through it because you will get through it and to put that comfort I like this word here comfort is about nurturing it's about soothing it's about co-regulating and it's about saying I'm here for you yeah. Not to fix it, not to jump in and say that, you know, you guys must be friends. It's been such a beautiful friendship. Friendships evolve, develop and change throughout our lives. And it doesn't negate the friendship. It doesn't mean it wasn't a lovely mm. relationship, a lovely experience, but it may have run its course. Yeah. And it doesn't mean we won't find our way back to each other in a few years. We Well, no, that's absolutely, we absolutely yeah, can might. often be the case as mm-hmm. well. That's true. If though the 11 year old says uh, to mom or dad, but why did she do that? But why? It, I assume we should resist the temptation to try and answer that question because Absolutely. you don't know. Uh, well, yeah, ex- yeah. well, exactly that. You don't know. You can infer. You can, you know, make a judgment. But inference and judgment is prone to error. You know, mm. you might be right and you might be wrong. So instead, it's about validating what a good question it is and how understandable. Because when something like this happens, it's confusing. And the first thing we want to know is why did it happen so that we can make sense of it. And you stay with that and go, I wonder why you think it happened. You know, I don't have an answer, but maybe we can think about a few reasons or a few causes. And beyond that, let's think about how it feels that it did happen. Yeah. My 10 year old daughter uh, still wants me to do story time with her at night when she is going to bed. I think it's time to get rid of this tradition. My husband thinks we should let our daughter decide when to stop. And he thinks it's probably helpful for her. He is also of the opinion that it will phase out and she will grow out of it if we leave it be. But are we babying her too much by doing this still? I'd like to be less attached to our ritual. Oh, I mean, like, why? why? Yeah, Yeah. why is my big thing here? Why do you want her less attached to what is a lovely ritual? I always think the the bedtime story is about so much more than the the reading and the story. It's about that winding down at the end of the day. It's about Mm. that moment of meeting and connection as we're saying goodnight, you know, that we have that cosy time. Because it's often a time where, you know, you're snuggled up together, you're reading a book, you're talking and you're completely in the moment with me. There's no other distractions going on. So actually the bedtime story is a beautiful ritual. The fact that you're still getting to enjoy it with your daughter at 10 years old that's great. I would be saying stick with it because the day is going to come when you'll be competing to spend time with your daughter for her to fit you into her schedule and you'll miss these days. So I would soak all of this up. There's nothing I love the word tradition, you know, because the tradition doesn't end. It evolves and it changes, but it shouldn't end like we need those. And for me, this is about connection. I would be led by your daughter. It doesn't mean she cannot read a book. That's it, because you're you're reading Mm. a book to your child isn't to teach them to read. It's to have that moment of meeting and connection. It's to, you know, and I think at her age, you could really get a book that has quite a bit of reading in it and that you could talk about the themes and talk about the stories and just even share moments of your day. Spend the time with her. And also the idea of we associate this people reading to another person as just the thing to do with children. But 
actually it's a lovely thing if somebody reads to you when you're an adult it's, it's just we don't do it much it's such a good experience and I think that you know it's one thing to tell a story to yourself because then you feel like you understand it but to say it to somebody else or tell it to somebody else you have a deep a deeper and a different understanding of it and there's a really because I get to see how the story lands with you what you think and feel and stories are such a great way to deepen and strengthen our capacity for empathy critical thinking solution focused thinking all because creativity is that route to empathy I think you've got a really good opportunity here to strengthen connection strengthen and enhance it and I'd hang on to it as long as you can Sorry, your husband's right. I I'm didn't sure, want to say that. Yeah, it's, see, I'm, I'm like sure it's a rarity. Not say that. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you do the kids, not the parents. Uh, Joanna, thanks a million as ever. Jo- Joanna Fortune there. As usual, if you do have a question for Joanna, you can send it into afternoon at newstalk.com. You are listening to the Moncrief Show on Newstalk. We're going to take a break after that. Midnight in London. Moncrief on Newstalk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again.